I'll reverse the jelly baby of the neutron flow. And welcome to the Hooving Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin is my name oh. I am Jace. And tonight we're going straight into the Almost People. And I must say that the opening to this episode takes us back to the first Doctor's quote from Dalek Invasion of Earth. Where he starts off by saying, one day I shall come back. Which is an actual quote he said to Susan as he was disappearing. Mm. But also, as he was about to leave her. But um, And then, of course, we go on to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, famous by John Pertwee's Third Doctor. And would you would like, you a, like jelly a jelly baby? baby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. From Tom Baker. And then, of course, we had the jumbled um, quotes with all the different iterations of all those quotes thrown together. <laughs> as the Doctor's trying to assimilate himself inside this ganger, as they call them. Or is almost people. Person. Yeah, I, I think that this episode really, really pulled together and, and tied up everything from the last one. All of the doctors, you know, dodgy behavior and everything really came to a head. And we see that this is all part of his plan. So throughout the whole episode, we see Amy starting to, like, undergo some, like, contractions and not know what's happening. And mm-hmm. the doctor just keeps telling her to breathe. And she's just like, oh, I must have gotten a stitch on my side or something. And, like... You know, and that's going on the whole thing. And it it's also, it's, it's really interesting because he's in there investigating how, you know, she's seeing the flesh. Well, it's because she, she was flesh all along and that's why they're there. Yeah, it seems like the doctor in this episode knows what's going to happen because he knows when the TARDIS is coming. He knows when the, when the child is going to ring in to talk to dad. Well, he, he, he set up the call. Earlier, okay. he said, she, "She's like, who are you calling?" He's like, "No one yet. I'm putting it on delay." Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, so he did set that up. But I think, I mean, he obviously has a lot of, definitely has a lot of um, knowledge in this episode, which I think kind of goes to the fact that, and and this is both doctors that it shows that the flesh really are. People, yeah, they're not very stable in the environment that they're in right now. But, and that's one of the qualms I have with this particular episode is that the direction for this story was not that great. I think it got a little bit confusing as to who was who, where was where, and with the extremely fast dialogue that we had. Amen, sir. When, I, 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 it, it would have really helped if, at the, like, when they said the, you know, previously on this, if they had, like, made a point about the gangers are the ones who are in the acid suits. That would have probably been helpful. Well, and that was kind of... It was kind of... Uh, 
alluded to, but it was not clear throughout the whole episode who we were dealing with, especially with Jennifer, because we had well, like but, four but, different Jennifers. Well, but that was that was intentional. That was supposed to be confusing because they were intentionally manipulating Rory to a degree. Yeah, to a degree, but it takes away from the character of Jennifer because the whole point of of one of the gang uh, of one of the almost people Jennifers was that she was actually connecting with Rory. They kind of throw that out the window. No, because yeah. she was the one who started the war between all of them also at the end of last episode. Exactly. But my point is is that they could have played with that more. That that whole, okay, I want Rory to be on my team. I want him to be on my side. I want to keep trying to get him pulled over. But it seems... And other than the fact that they find the gangers all kind of melting away... They're, they seem to abandon that, and she just becomes kind of a crazy monster-like character. And I feel like that took away from the characterization of Jennifer. Yeah, I can see, I could understand why, but it just seemed like I don't know. For me, it just felt like it could have been. It could have. Been I, it better. seemed like it took away from the whole character, you know, of the flesh. Um, to do that way too, it became like you know more of a one-dimensional monster of the week at the end. I, I, um, when I, I thought it was a much more kind of intriguing philosophical opening, but I, I feel like the, the story is kind of being driven. <laughs> I, I, but I understand what Michael was saying, too. I think there was some confusion in some of the characters. At, at least with me, at some points, I had to you know ask myself out loud, and I think you guys even during it, hey, is, who is who? And some of that was intentional misdirection. They did it with the doctor in a meaningful, fun way. But also, I think it left, you know, just a little bit of chaos in there. Maybe too much for a nice, neat plot line. I do like that part of it, though, with the where the doctor kind of trades shoes with his ganger and ch- to figure out exactly yeah. how each is going to be treated. And, of course, they end up treating the doctor really badly. And then Amy spills her guts to him as he's actually the doctor. <laughs> so he learns that she's seen him die and he also um, understands that he, how Amy will react to it, him if he was actually not the doctor, but actually the ganger. That's kind of scary, too. Almost like a Colin Baker-like moment with that scene, because you've got Matt Smith's Eleven actually throwing Amy against the wall and getting a little bit more violent than usual. I saw a lot more Colin Baker in the scene where he's telling Rory, just get her in the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. Lol, lol patrol. I thought that the character of Jennifer was the monster all along. I think that's the, the point. And it's not about the fact that she was flesh. It's about just the fact that once Jennifer is put in that situation, that's the type of person that she you know, becomes or turns out to have already been. Um, Because we see, you know, the ganger versions of the other people all turn out to just be, like, nice, reasonable people. It was all being inspired by, like, just the one hateful one. And everyone else, like, when they were given the opportunity, they were like, yeah, let's go back to just, like, let's just, like, hang out with the humans. Like, this is ridiculous. And so I think that it was more a story about you know, there being one person who, you know, was taking it the wrong way into extremes unnecessarily, not about the fact that that person was, you know, the alien or the monster or whatever. I hear that. I think that was a big part of it all. Um, 
But also, I was left with, like, the impression, too, maybe I missed another piece of something, but I remember when, you know, the doctor or, you know, a flesh version of himself um, did have, like, a connection, you know, with the rest of the flesh and was talking about revenge and pain and and everything else. So it did make it seem like the entity itself had some some sinister qualities to it, even if it copied people the correct way. Well, it wasn't talking about revenge. It was talking about why is it, why are you doing this to me? I think I think one part to the the idea though that Jennifer was the only one that had hatred towards the gangers. I felt like the leader person also had an issue with them as well, and I can't remember her name for the life of me. Yeah. Clive? Um, Cleves. Cleves, yes. Cleves. Miranda. Miranda Cleves. She she was she was obviously not liking them either. She but she but she destroyed. came she came around. Eventually, but it took a lot of coaxing. And it took her being there when the two different doctors were That's true. So I guess there were really two monsters in this story and one was a human and one was a ganger, so Buzzer wasn't really much help either, though. He he was yeah, upset. But... He was more upset that Jennifer had been killed. I think at that point because he he was the one that helped was the only human that learned of her death because he saw her. No, I think Cleve sent him to go knock that doctor unconscious. Oh yeah, no, obviously she did. That. Yeah, but he also got to see Jennifer's actual body. Yeah. And Jennifer's body. And that was sad that they were just like, and she died one second ago. Oh, well. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah, the fact that it was so close to, like, that one second was kind of ridiculous. Like, why was that necessary? It seems like to, it seems like to me it would have been better if, if they could have saved her and then she realized in the end, oh, okay, maybe it's not as bad. Because she would have been the only Jennifer to survive if she had. Well... I mean, not to be, like, you know, cruel or whatever, but maybe a universe without Jennifer is a better universe. We see, you know, what she does with a little bit of power. Yeah, and also it's interesting, too, because... I forgot what I was going to say. My mom texted me. Okay, yeah, that was interesting. Thanks, yeah, Chase. You're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that there was, you know, there were like a lot, there were a lot of interesting moments and also just kind of rewatching it after knowing, you know, what's going on with Amy and with the doctor the whole time. It, it just like, it doesn't lose anything. In fact, it might gain a lot of things just because it's, it's so well done, you know, in it, you see the doctor being like, like hearing the flesh, you know, screaming, why, why? And then you see the flesh doctor, like also getting it, but not as strong. And you, you know, the way they do the scene, it makes you think, oh, it's because he's got a, you know, real connection to the flesh. But it's like, no, it's because he's a time lord and it's stronger in the real one. But the hard thing with this is that, like, they spend the whole episode really, like, pounding home the concept that, like, oh, the flesh, you know, the real people. But then, like, at the end, it's like everyone just kind of agrees, like, okay, but if someone's going to die here, it should be the flesh. 
You know, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I can see where your point is. I think also with this episode, it's just a whole lot of running. There, it, it's like a ticking time bomb with the acid about to blow everything up, and it's and it literally takes the whole episode for it to actually happen. So it's it, it seems to me like that's another that I don't know why, but it just feels like kind of like the first episode. It felt a little bit dragged out. If they had found out about the explosion or the acid going to burst like closer to the end just before it was going to happen and they didn't just have all this running around stuff where they're kind of dodging little eyeballs and things of that nature because they had a lot of downtime or a lot of times where they were able to stop and actually talk to each other and I'm thinking okay everything's about to blow up why are you stopping and looking at eyeballs I mean it just didn't seemed to gel right with, with what they were supposed to be doing. I also thought it was interesting how when the doctor pulled up the one, like, hologram of this man's child, how his doppelganger ran to go free his real person, and then, like, this person was holding down the thing and gets blasted with acid. Like, that thing was on so close to being on the verge of exploding, yet time seems to just stop as they're sitting there and having their moment together. It's things like that that didn't really make that much sense and was very noticeable. Yeah. I mean, that was a great scene emotionally, and I will have to give Stephen Moffat credit for that. But it didn't work. Like, the whole thing was, that thing was about to blow. Like, it, did it just stop blowing, bubbling up <laughs> as much as it was well, to cause this incident to begin with? I Maybe uh, it did blow, and that's how the acid got on it. No, like, it blew, but, like, well, it did release a lot of the pressure, probably, so. Yeah. But it still, it was supposed to have a catastrophic yeah. event where everybody dies. So if you're, if everybody's going to die, wouldn't it make sense to not deal with someone who's there or take him with you if he's still alive? Yeah, that's that's it pretty much a knee jerk reaction that any lifeguard would have. You just take them, take him with you, and let him die elsewhere along the way, or or in the TARDIS, or whatever. That would have been more poignant because he could have died just before he gets to see his son, and then the gang, and then the ganger takes over when he steps out of the TARDIS to go see his son. That would have been a better sequence, I think. Right. It, it reminds like a lot of like those slowdowns, you know, where you know it seems like they're under a lot of time pressure, but stop and talk. It seems like a lot of those like anime moments where there might be like this big epic <laughs> fight just about to happen, like everything goes on, but like wait. Let us have a five-minute conversation just in the middle of it. Or a five-minute like, slow motion. Like, you thing, know, right? there's there's a problem here. Let's get up and go. Like, you know, I wanted a sense of urgency. So, Yeah, that five-minute conversation where they're basically describing exactly how they're going to fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is not quite the same because obviously they're not describing what's about to happen. But it... Same thing. Makes no sense. Still, the urgency of the situation... You know, does not correspond to the dialogue and you know the action exactly, and you that's know, why I think a lot of people timeline. tend to have a problem with this. Yes, it does wrap things up, and there are great moments in it, but a lot of it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I like, we get we I get new plot hooks too. Uh, you know, even though a lot of things are wrapped up, we do still have some you know open questions. Right, like you know, where has Amy been all this time? <laughs> 
right how there, in the world did a ganger right get on board the TARDIS to begin with? It was another question I had. Yeah. But, but like, you know, I, I did actually really like the central point of this episode, which is, you know, the looking at how people treat, you know, people under prejudice, essentially, was what we were looking at. Because we see the doctor the actual doctor just being, you know, himself and the gang being, you know, convincingly the other doctor. And we see the, the way that they're treated. And we also see, you know, how Cleves really kind of changes her tone when she realizes that the doctor is like an alien and an expert on crazy alien stuff, which kind of begs the question, like, why does the doctor more often try just being like, and an, I'm an alien. Let me give you this like information that proves it. And maybe because that gets boring after a while. Yeah, I think that's it's true. because you know if he if he goes to that you know length, he's just going to take a psychic paper and that's going to go right to the heart of the matter anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to cop out the two for hearts everything. of the matter. Yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't want to cop out for every little thing. Uh, the the psychic paper, the sonic screwdriver. And the doctor just saying, I'm alien, would get old pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. All right. So what if they had tried to condense this story into one episode? I don't think that would have worked. Well, I think that they could have done it. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I like the theme that you were bringing up, but I thought the theme was better issued in the episode before it. I, I don't think there was much additive to it. Although I, I do think the doctor gave a really nice contrast in the end. But I mean, I, I think we already saw the message without him. I think it was fun to have two doctors in the works. I mean, I, I think that always is. That's a um, that's a fun thing for all the fans, and you know, I think for anybody watching. <laughs> well, if you think back to Journey's End, everybody loved having two David yeah, Tennant's. I mean, yeah, and there were some there were some very fun interactions between the two of the the two doctors too. Oh yeah, definitely. They're complimenting themselves and and it's making. It's just it. so inspiring to hear me say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we've got. I mean, those are the kinds of moments that you kind of look forward to when the doctor meets himself. Um, and and it doesn't happen often enough, unfortunately. Well, if it happened too often, it wouldn't be fun anymore. Mm-hmm. True. Yes. Maybe. Pretty sure. <laughs> what if the next companion of the doctor is the doctor? <laughs> <laughs> so you have two doctors on board the TARDIS? Yeah, why not? Interesting. They did that already. The doctor and the doctor and the doctor Donna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sort it of. seems like there are no real rules. I don't, I don't see how you know they couldn't do it if they decided. To. <laughs> so basically, the the companion ends up being a future incarnation of the doctor, but maybe, or a past or one, perhaps, perhaps or with with their memories separated amongst ages, <gasps> or like Fires of Pompeii, where. You get your face from an inspiration around you. Like, imagine if, like, Clara came back and was, like, the doctor. The, the next doctor. Boom, boom. <laughs> it could happen. I still want a Clara and me spinoff. Me too. A good series. Oh, right to Russell T. Davies. He's planning a lot of spinoffs Dearest already. Russell, <laughs> my brilliant idea was picked <laughs> up on a clearly laid plot. <laughs> idea of the past I'd like you to follow up on it <laughs> sincerely Colin of the Whovian Review we know the big wigs at the BBC <laughs> listen, listen to our podcast right. I mean, it's not it, all it's need 
I mean, anything's possible. We do know that there's the the big rumor that David Tennant's coming back, and the, another big rumor that Catherine Tate's coming back in some form or another. How that would ever happen, who knows? Well, yeah, I, I mean, heard, uh, it could be for the anniversary special and just be a multi-doctor story. True. It, you know. Yeah, and there's also a rumor that Matt Smith might be on our podcast in the next couple of Oh, months. my God. What? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting rumor. I it's haven't heard rumor. it yet. I, I just started this rumor. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Rumors are rumors. You can't predict whether they're true or not. So. Well, we do have its agent's number, so you know anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, let's not get too carried away now. <laughs> Any other thoughts or concerns with the almost people? Um, I like them, but I think they are people, Michael. I don't think we should just derogatorily <laughs> say that they're almost people. I think, you know, just when Rory came up against, you know, the, the, the two women who, you know, one was supposedly real and supposedly not, um, he should have just said, we're all people. Let us all go. I think that's what he was trying to say. And that's what he's trying to say, but I think that was the that was the point in dialogue. And I think sums it all up and what it was all screaming at us, you know? It's like why not cooperate in this situation? I mean, come on. If everyone cooperated, everybody would have been fine. And the world probably richer for it. I think that's what the doctor's like always saying in like every time he lands and encounters a conflict between two groups, he's just like, You're all People just talk to each other and cooperate and everything will be fine. We don't have to have these problems. Yeah, but there always seem to be problems. Mm-hmm. There's always some human that always has to go and get it yeah. wrong. No, sometimes it's another species. It's not always us. No, but I'm just saying in these cir- circumstances, when we're dealing with humans, there's always one in every bunch. Yep. Tends to be. <coughs> Tends to be. Sounds like it's time to rate this episode. So about this episode, it was definitely confusing, but it was fun. I kind of agree with what with, with what Shelby said earlier with the biggest monster in this whole sh- episode just being Jennifer. Because as I said, I think last podcast, or maybe I didn't say during the podcast, but the reality is this doppelganger is Jennifer. When Jennifer gets pushed, this is who you become. So you, as a human, were already a monster. You just needed a bit more pushing. And it was just horrible because the monster was human, even though we dehumanize it. But it also wasn't... It was, it was confusing. But I think that was the true horror of the story, at what lengths you can push a person to be the complete opposite of who they looked like. You know, the art of deceit, I suppose. I also really liked how... During the first episode of this two-parter, we actually saw, you know, pregnant, not pregnant, pregnant, not pregnant. And then we learned all of a sudden, oh, those are contractions. You're getting ready to give birth. That's some, like, waking up from, like, the Matrix type stuff. You know, that was kind of bone chilling. I thought it was all really cool. Seeing the doctor just get totally, like, red from Amy um, and her being like, I know this is my doctor. Like, that's just horrible. How do you dehumanize someone so much when they are no different than yourself? I feel like there's a lot of things being said about mankind in this episode. Even though it was stupidly just about, you know, goop versus goop, it was really just people versus people. What do you do when you're battling yourself? 
Although there's also, you know, an argument to be made that if, you know, the flesh is all one thing, then maybe the, her flesh recognized that doctor's flesh. Sorry. What do you mean? Never mind. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was cool. However, it was really drawn out for, like, literally no reason, and sometimes in ways that made no sense at all. So it doesn't make sense to, like, rate this really high. I like the idea behind it and the, what these characters kind of symbolize more so than I did the actual story. But it was cool. And for that reason, I'd probably give it about a 7. I'm done. It's fair. Well, I'll, I'll launch up next then. Um, I agree with a lot of that. I, I think, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, what I was excited for was the doctor on doctor action, which, which we got, you know, but at the beginning I was expecting it to really come out, you know, in a strong way and it, it didn't so much. It took some time to develop. And I think a lot of it really came, um, through the end too, in a switcheroo. Um, it was really nice, but that was a highlight of this episode for me. Just having that interaction, I think is always delightful. Four of hearts, four hearts that be as one. And it was, you know, just wonderfully done. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, just so much about, you know, the charm and what I liked about this episode, uh, I thought was better done in the first part of the episode. I think this was one that you could condense down and have a much better experience with less confusion, um, a really more, you know, singular plot line that, you know, ties in all the elements that we love here. Um but, you know, I, I do, I, I thought there were some fun elements, but really almost the first half, I found myself, you know, a little bored, uninterested. Um, and because I didn't sustain that, you know, full attention that I usually do to Doctor Who, I think that, you know, amplified the potential for some confusion and chaos with different characters where they were. So I don't think this episode was managed very well. Um, I, I do like that. Um, there's a nice significant plot hook and another to-be-continued in this ending of a two-parter because um, it's it's looking like something interesting and big is about to happen that's been hinted at this whole season. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have similar feelings. You know, for me, this is just going to get a 6 out of 10. Um, it's hard for me to justify too much more um, without, you know, feeling overly generous. All right. I think one kind of interesting thing is this is that it seems that, you know, the doctor came up with his whole plan for coming here, you know, before arriving. And it seems that part of that plan was creating a flesh version of himself and presumably then abandoning it because the doctor is very strict about like has been repeatedly strict about like I can't have two of the same person, you know, on my TARDIS. <laughs> And, like, yeah. makes that, you know, a thing. So I think that he was always planning on you know, doing that, which means that the Flesh Doctor throughout this whole episode was doing everything knowing that the intention was for him to sacrifice himself at the end. And, I don't know, that just seems like an interesting um, aspect of the Doctor that, you know, comes up here and there is always, always very willing to do that. Um, but, yeah... There were a lot of good points to meet up here. It was it was a lot of running around, and a lot of the stuff didn't quite fit together um, nicely. I think that the core story and a lot of the, you know, interactions between the Doctor and himself and between the Doctor and Amy were, um, were very good in this. But 
Overall, I will have to give this one a 6.5 out of 10. Initially, I was thinking of giving this story a 5 out of 10 because this because of the drawbacks that I've always felt this episode had. I mean, it basically draws out what we've already learned in the first episode. But I'm going to elevate it to a 6 out of 10 just for the sequence with regards to um, Jimmy, the character of Jimmy and his storyline. I think that was a very compelling storyline with regards to his son and the fact that the the, um, the ganger takes over his, um, his Jimmy's actual place in that. Could it have been done a little bit better? Yeah, I've already mentioned that, but... It tugs at the heartstrings because you realize that the the one character of Jimmy was very close to being out and seeing his son again. And technically, he won't see his son again. It's someone who knows about Jimmy that will get to see his son and pretend to be Jimmy. But he's not. he doesn't consider himself completely Jimmy, if that makes any sense. He try, he, he's trying to come to terms with that as, as he's going to see his son. And I think... That's a beautiful little spin on things. So that made me go, okay, I'll give it a 6 out of 10 for that particular plot line. But, I mean, it's like right on the verge of 5 and 6. It's kind of an average to slightly below average storyline. And I, I think it's mostly the padding that goes on with this particular episode that, that creates that unfortunate sense that this could have easily been a one-part story um, and probably be done a little bit better. Because you could have still done um, pretty much most of the storylines. You just didn't need all the stopping and going and stopping and going as we ended up getting. Um, and that's that's my two cents. Yeah. On that, I kind of feel like this is another example of how – it would be so much better if writers could just write something that's like the length that the story needs to be rather than fitting into a time slot. Because if this whole, you know, two part story could have been like an hour and 15 minutes, maybe, I think that that might have been perfect and they could have cut out the fluff and still had all of the important elements and it wouldn't feel rushed. It's kind of like the old classic epi- uh, stories is that they'd have like different different uh, length stories. Some would be four episodes long, some would be five, some would be six, some would be seven. You could... Yeah, but, but, a lot of, but a lot of those, like, a lot of classic stories, I feel like, could be a few episodes shorter. Well, yeah. An increasing world that is, you know, streaming of media rather than, you know, live broadcasting that you need to pair with certain ads and regiments, I think this is much more becoming a reality. And I think we'll see increasingly more shows, as we're already, I think, seeing in a lot of cases, really vary their episode length, you know, on demand and on what they need to tell. Which is what, what yeah, they, need to do. They, they are doing that quite a bit recently. I mean, I noticed certain episodes of a series that I'm currently watching are either in between 39 minutes long or one hour and 12 minutes long yeah. or something like that. And, and, it's like, and that's Whoa. great because then, you know, you can tell the story the way that it should be told and you can get the pacing right. Exactly. I see a lot of, like, the initial episodes being longer too, which I think makes sense. You set up a lot of characters and things 
um, to get going on. And, you know, you might also want to hook your audience and get a little bit more buy-in, too. Well, I hope that's something like the new season of Doctor Who kind of offers, because he, Russell T. Davis, has been working on other projects, and that's kind of like the trend now. Tell the story the way it's intended to be told. Now that they have a bigger budget, more money, more wider of a fan base to appeal to, I feel like we're going to see a lot more of that. And... And it, it does kind of confine you to a very specific time limit. I think one of the problems that that uh, Stephen Moffat might have had with this particular two-part story is that he probably did have enough material that he could have told over two episodes, but it probably just didn't need to be a full two episodes. And that's where it just kind of fell to pieces. And so sometimes it's hard to predict. As a writer, it is. I mean, when you've got, when you're juggling not just two episodes, you're juggling thirteen or fourteen episodes all at once. Plus, you're juggling all the extra stuff and the interviews and all the all the behind the scenes stuff that you're in charge of just as well. Sometimes that can be lost in translation. You just don't know sure. how long it's going to take. And matter of fact, if you listen to some of the classic. Uh, the classic commentaries on DVDs from the producers and directors of the time, a lot of them would say that for their classic stories, yeah, this could have been told in only three episodes as opposed to seven. I don't know why they had to make it so that we had to tell the story in such a padded way because it just... Mm -hmm. Now, some stories, granted, like Genesis of the Daleks, work as a longer six-part story. The War Games, which is a huge ten-part Patrick Troughton story, that kept me riveted throughout all ten episodes. Maybe it could have been eight. But the idea is that it really didn't... I didn't mind the long episodes. I found it as a rule of thumb that most classic Doctor Who stories could be one to two episodes shorter. So, And then usually <laughs> yeah. that one is only for the four-episode ones. <laughs> and, and granted, they had only, like... 30 or 20 to 30 minutes to actually tell an, a story in those episodes. So it was a little bit less problematic if you have two episodes and they're 45 minutes long because then you really have to worry about pacing. Well, that's like the same as having four classic ones. To a degree, but I mean, I mean, if you cut out one episode, like they did for some of the Sylvester McCoy stories, they actually had only three episodes. So they were able to tell the story much quicker and, and more yeah, reasonably. Um, I, I think it's a lot easier to cut out 20 minutes versus cutting out a whole 42 to 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, and they had that issue with um, during Colin Baker's era because they did a 45-minute episode um, format. And they, so they could cut out some of the, uh, the cliffhangers. The problem, though, is that they, for one particular story, they ended up finding that the first episode ran way too long, and the second episode ran way too short. So they had yeah. to kind of intersperse some of the stuff that was in the first episode into the second episode to try and equal it out. Again, kind of, kind of goes to our point that we've kind of nailed into the wall by now. All right. <laughs> well... well we hope that uh, we can nail something to the wall for you again next week as, uh, <laughs> as we come back at it again with a whole new exciting episode of the Whovian Review Podcast. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. Bye. Bye.